Well, helping is a relative term there. I cut a few tiles, and uh, Paul put them in. So... As you can see, we've made some, well, maybe you can't see from that angle, but if you were to come up here, you would see from my side that we've made some great progress on the baptistry. And really, I'm excited for you guys. I'm very excited because I know what the future holds. I'm not a mind reader, but I know that this is a step of faith, and God honors steps of faith. There's a church in Georgia, back in America where I'm from, and this church... They had seen people saved. They've been, uh, been around for a long time, but they never had a baptismal. And so this pastor felt burdened one day that he needed to go out and, and build a baptistry. So uh, he was an older pastor. He got some guys together. They built the baptistry. They hadn't seen someone saved in a long time. But as soon as they did that, as soon as they built that baptistry, within the next couple of weeks, they saw souls saved. And they saw people discipled. And they got to use that baptistry over and over and over again because God honored the faith. Of his people. And this right here is a great testament of the faith of your pastor and of you guys, of your church, because you are out there winning souls to Christ and you're seeing people get saved. I saw how many, seven hands go up, Pastor, for baptism, was it? That's an incredible amount. I'm happy for you guys because this is a, a time of obedience. It's a time of, of recognizing that you are becoming a disciple of Christ and that you're t- turning your back on the world. And you're saying, I decide to follow Jesus. And that's a crucial time in your life. And all Christians ought to go through that time where they decide that they are turning their back from the world and turning towards Christ. Anyway, that's all free. And uh, we had a fun time with the baptistry today. (laughs) Uh, I know, I think you guys actually have it a little bit better than most people because I was at a baptism service in Arklow last week. And we saw two people get baptized out in the ocean. Now, that's a little bit chilly. You guys have a heater. You guys have a pool heater up here. You guys are spoiled. You know, I think, I just don't think we should have the pool heater up there, Pastor. I think they should just suffer for it, shouldn't, don't you think? Well, maybe not. I, I would, I'd be a little lenient if it was me in that pool, so I don't mind. Last night we had a great day at the teen activity. We had seven teenagers come out, and we had a lot of fun. We had played some really ridiculous games. They heard me speak for a little while, but God was there. And there were some decisions made in their hearts, and, uh, and God definitely spoke to some teens. We talked about the making of a man, the making of a man. And what ingredients God would use to make a man of God. And it was very interesting. It was a good study. And there was a lot of hearts uh, touched by it last night. So be praying for the youth group. Be praying for the teenagers of this church. They are the future. You guys are now. But the future is coming up right behind you. So be praying for those people in the back. Be praying for those teenagers. Be praying for the kids. Because they need your prayers. And we're going to talk about that tonight. One last thing about Rick Flanders. I am so jealous I can't be here. I am leaving the third. I think he's coming the eighth. That is crazy. You guys need to clear off your schedule and make sure that you're there on the eighth because it's going to be a wonderful time. And he's a, he's a good man. He's a great preacher. A lot of you have heard him already, but some of you who have not heard him, trust me, you're in for a treat. Make sure that you clear your schedule for the eighth and come out here for Rick Flanders. It's going to be an amazing time that I'm not going to be here for. But let that being said, all the preliminaries out of the way, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to the book of John. John in chapter number 17, if you'd please, tonight. Over the last 11 weeks, gotten to travel across the, the world, literally, up in America for several weeks, got to come over here to Ireland, got to go to the United Kingdom for a few weeks. 
and hold youth rallies, neighborhood Bible time rallies, much like you guys saw here. Some churches had did a little bit differently, but they were all neighborhood Bible time. We got to see many, many kids saved. We're still adding up the numbers, but we were in eight different countries this year. We got to see so many souls saved. And I uh, got to preach over 60 times. Just, just That's just me. There was 43 other guys out there. And so God really blessed this summer. And we're still tallying those numbers. But thank you for being faithful, those of you who came out for Neighbor Bible Time. And for those who worked hard, we really are thankful for you. And it was a wonderful week. And uh, I'm looking forward to next year, too. John chapter number 17. We'll begin reading the first verse. We'll begin reading a passage of scripture here that really touched me and impacted my life. When I understood what it meant. I read through my Bible many times, and I, I think, oh, okay, there's nice words here. <laughs> I understand this is applying to me. But when this truth gripped my heart, I realized that God wrote this specifically for me. John chapter 17, verse number 1, it says this. These words spake Jesus, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. This is salvation. That they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Talking about himself there. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou hast gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So he's looking back to what it was before the world. And he remembers the glory that he experienced with God. And in that moment, while he's experiencing all the vastness of time, we'll skip down to verse 20 and read what he says. Verse 20 says this, Neither pray I for these alone, his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. You know who that is? You. When are we talking about there? You. He's talking about me. Not just for the disciples. He's just praying for other people here. In his hour of greatest need, he's praying for others, but he's also praying for you. That they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And the world may know that thou hast sent me, and thou hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. That's a lengthy passage of scripture. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll begin unpacking it. Lord, thank you so much for this evening, and thank you for these people who have decided to come out and hear your word preached. I pray that it would be a blessing and an encouragement to them. And that they would walk away from this night realizing that Jesus prays for us, that he loves us. God, I love you for that. If that was enough reason right there just to love you, God, I would want to praise you all day long because you pray for us. And I pray that these men, these ladies in this room, these teenagers, these kids, they would understand the severity and the reality that you do pray for us. And I ask that you would open our, our, our eyes and our hearts to what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Jesus prays for me, so I should pray for others. We all know that we should pray. I could preach a message on prayer and make us all feel guilty. It'd make me feel guilty through it all, too. But that would do us no good. Even while I was studying for this sermon, I was 
reviewing this passage and God kept convicting me over and over again about my prayer life. Because trust me, this summer is just as much for me as it is for anyone else. Because Jesus prays for me, I should pray for others. The context of this passage is before the crucifixion. Jesus Christ is facing the future here. He's looking forward to the cross. He's facing pain in the future. He's facing death. He's facing the moment where his entire life, his purpose is accumulated in the moment of death for the sins of the world. He's looking forward to not a fun time, but a time of the wrath of God being poured out on him for the sins of the world. And he prays earlier and says, uh, and asks God that if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And yet, this cup comes to him and he has to drink from the cup of sin. And take all the sins of all the world onto his shoulders and experience the wrath of God for it. And in his last moments, he decides to do something. He goes away and he prays this prayer. Now, if you were facing death, if you knew that in about 24 hours you were going to die, what would your last prayer be? You're talking to God. What would your last prayer be? What would it consist of? Think about that for a second. Ponder that thought. What would your last prayer be before you knew that you were going to die? Jesus knows the agony and the shame that's to come. And he decides to pray for us. Knowing that he would uh, have to face the men who would be nailing him to the cross very soon. He decides to pray for them. And he remembers in glory. He he lifted up his eyes in verse 1. and says, glorify thou me with thine own self. With the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He remembers how much power he had. He remembers how he was preeminent. He was everything. And now he's a man on this earth facing death for you and for me. That's a pretty incredible proposition. That in the moments where God himself comes down to earth, is facing death, he thinks of you. And he thinks of me. You know, Jesus here, he has a prayer life that's very vibrant. And I would, if I would say that, I don't think I have a prayer life like Jesus. Do you have a prayer life like Jesus? No, I'll answer it for you. <laughs> in college, though, we had a man named Joe Maxino. And he was a big encouragement to me. We had this room that we cleared out. It was a broom closet. It was no bigger than maybe this pulpit plus another one this way. Not a very big room. But it had a couple brooms in there. It had a uh, hoover in there. And so we took it all out and we cleaned it out. We scrubbed it. We put carpet in there. And we made it our prayer room. And we started to pray. We'd turn that light on and we'd put our shoes outside so people would know that we were there in that room. So no one else would come in and disturb us. And there were some prayers answered. I remember one day coming in and having a piece of paper. It was just a whim, but I knew that God wanted me to do it. And I, I wrote down in there, Bible college does not produce godly men. Godly men are produced by God and their relationship with him. And I think we could echo that with godly homes. Godly homes don't, progress, don't produce godly men. Godly men are produced by God and your relationship with him. Hey, this, this men's home does not produce godly men. What produces godly men is your relationship with God, personally. Not just the outside, it's the inside. What produces godly men is what your relationship is with Jesus Christ. And here Jesus Christ prays for us. Now Jesus has a 100% answer rate on his prayer life. No matter how much I pray, I can't get that. If I pray for a Ferrari, it doesn't come to me. If I pray for a car, it doesn't come to me. If I pray for gas in the tank or, or fuel in the petrol in the tank, it doesn't come. <laughs> but 
But I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ, when he prays, it gets answered. And he prays for us in two specific ways. I want to look at these two glimpses into Jesus' prayer life. Two very simple glimpses into Jesus' prayer life. If you want to write these down, they may just change your life. Two glimpses that Jesus, into Jesus' prayer life for you. His prayer life, first of all, is directed to me. It's directed to me. In verse 20, it says this, Neither I pray I for these alone, talking about his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. There's a genealogy. Each one of us has a genealogy. Some of us may be aware of it. Some of us may not be. We can trace our genealogy through our parents, through our grandparents, our great-great-grandparents, all the way through our monkey's uncle. And you can find out exactly who you're related to. Some of us may not like to know who we're related to. My last name is Kaiser. Yeah. Some people have asked me, are you related to Hitler in some ways? I don't know. I don't think so, and I hope not. But you have a genealogy that you know. Maybe you don't know. Someone produced someone who produced someone who produced you. And we all have another genealogy, not just physically, but spiritually, where someone led someone to Christ, who led someone else to Christ, who led someone else, who then heard the testimony of someone else to Christ, who then witnessed to you. And you got saved. And when you believe that Jesus Christ took the payment of your sins, you became a part of that genealogy. Who are you producing? That's a, quite a convicting thought. Who are you producing? Who's next in your genealogy? Jesus Christ looks through all the genealogies, all the people who are going to be saved. And at that moment, while he's looking forward to death on the cross, he thinks of your face. And he thinks of you. And his prayer life is directed to you because he knows you. He loves you, specifically you. And he prays for you. He prays for you through all these gener gen generations and genealogies of people who will be saved. And what does he pray? Do I just say pray, Lord, bless this person? Well, what does bless mean? We can pray a very simple prayer, can't we? A dumbed down prayer at the dinner table. Bless this food to our bodies and bless this person and bless, 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 bless. And God's like, I already blessed you. You're alive. There you go. Prayer answered. What does blessing really mean? God prays specifically for you. He doesn't just say bless these people that are going to believe. He says, I pray specifically for you in this way. To dwell in unity. To dwell in unity. He prays for you directly to dwell in unity. It says in verse 20, that they, talking about you and me, that they all may be, how many? One, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be, how many? One in us, that the, and that the world that may believe that thou hast sent me. Psalms 133, verse 1 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. In unity. And the gospel is given to us so that we can be made one with Jesus Christ and be brought together in unity with him. To dwell in unity with each other. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's hard to, it's hard to dwell with each other. But to dwell with each other in unity, that's a whole other ball game. And God prays it for you. He says, I have a 100% answer rate on my prayer life and I pray for you to be unified with you. And for you to be unified with you. He prays for unity. 
And he has an answer rate of 100%. In the World's Fair in 1904, there was two draft horses who were pulling drastic weights behind them. Large, uh, large carriages, basically, filled with weights. And they were seeing how much they could, could pull behind them. Well, the biggest draft horse pulled uh, 7,000 pounds, and the one in second place pulled 6,000 pounds. So they put the two together and said, we should see how much both of them can pull together in unity. They yoked them together. At that point, they thought it was going to be 13,000 pounds. 7,000 plus 6,000 is 13,000 pounds, in case you didn't know. Just want to make sure we knew that. But when those two draft horses went forward, they pulled a load of 17,000 pounds pounds. That's a lot of weight. Two horses completely shattered the expectations of what people thought they could do based on their individual efforts. What could Jesus do if we would stop dividing ourselves and started unifying ourselves in one body, in one Christ, in one church, and say we are going to go out and go soul winning and go door knocking, and we're going to go out in one spirit, and we're going to build this kingdom for Christ. We're going to do something great. What if we were to dwell together in unity? How much could we pull? We could do some. Of course, we could do some if, if each one of us uh, was to go off and do our own thing for Christ but not nearly as much if we were to dwell together in unity because Christ prays for it, that we would dwell together in unity. And the only way to do that, the only way to live with someone in unity, the only way to endure someone in unity is with the Holy Spirit. Why should we forgive and dwell in unity? Why should we forgive someone who's hurt us in the past? I can't dwell together in unity with this person. You'd have no idea what they did to me. You have no idea what they stole from me. You have no idea how much pain, how much agony, how much misery they caused me. Why should I forgive them? Why should I dwell in unity? Because Jesus forgave you. And he prayed that you'd be one with him in unity. So we should be unified with others. Jesus prays for us to be in unity. Jesus prays for us to be in unity. Joe DiMaggio was a famous baseball player in America, and he was asked one day, why do you play so hard? Why do you play so hard? You're just doing simple stuff. Why are you playing? It's so hard. Why? You could get hurt. And he, looks out, he looked at the reporters, and he said this. He said, because there might be someone out there who has not seen me play yet. There might be someone out there who has not seen me play yet, and I want that moment for them to see how great it is to play ball. And when we're out there and we're trying to do our own thing, we're trying to, uh, trying to do something for Christ in our own power, it's not very good. But when we dwell together in unity and we're dwelling together at all times, we're going to see God do something great. How hard are you willing to work at being in unity with other people? It may require you to humble yourself and swallow some pride. It may require for you to say you're sorry. It may require yourself to, to deny yourself in some way. Say, I am not going to participate in that. But whatever it is, that sacrifice must be made for unity. Because unity is a scriptural principle where God prays it into our lives. How hard are you willing to work for unity? What are you willing to sacrifice in your relationship? What are you willing to sacrifice in your marriage? What are you willing to sacrifice for your kids that you would be in unity in the gospel? But it's not just the fact that we'd be made in unity. It's also that we'd be made perfect. 
He prays for us to be in unity, but also prays for us to be made perfect. Now, what does that mean? How can we be made perfect? That's talking about sanctification. That's talking about being transformed day by day by the renewing of your mind into the image of God. In verse 23, it says this, I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect. He prays for you. He prays for you and says, I pray that they would be made unity and that they would be made perfect. That word perfect means mature. Now, maturity doesn't come with age when it comes to Christianity. We have believers in this room. That's great. I'm sure we have believers in this room that have been saved for 40, 30, 20, maybe even 15 years. But the amount of time that you've been saved does not denote maturity. The length of days that you've had does not denote your spiritual maturity. What denotes your spiritual maturity is shown by how you live what you know. How you live what the Bible says. How you live what God has told you to do with your life. That is where maturity is. And we can have people that are, have been saved for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and they are spiritual babes in Christ because they are not mature. They're not being made perfect because they're not willing to be. Jesus Christ prays for it. He says, look, I pray that you'd be made perfect. I pray that you would be sanctified and growing forward in your sanctification. That's encouraging to me. To know that I don't have to do it in my own power. I'm not the only one praying for my own sanctification. It's Jesus praying for me as well. Jesus is praying that you would be going to that next step, that next level in your Christian walk. And that may be baptism. That may be denying yourself in some way. That may be saying you're sorry. That may be forgiving someone. That may be going together in unity. That may be something that I'm not even mentioning right now. But God is telling you that you need to be made perfect, to be made mature, and to lay that weight aside, and to follow Christ in that area. Colossians 4.12 says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Our prayer life is a, our prayers are a speedometer on our prayer life. Our prayers are a speedometer on our prayer life. How is your prayer life? Jesus prays for us. He prays for us directly. He prays for us directly. Once a letter has been mailed, did you know? Once it's been put in the post, it cannot be intercepted. It will be delivered, and it will get to the end destination. You can't stop it halfway and say, wait, i got to add something else to it. Oh, wait, I forgot. I need to put an address label on there. It will be delivered to what it says. It cannot be intercepted. And so is any prayer that Jesus has prayed for you and for me. It has been delivered. It has been sealed. It has been made sure that it cannot be intercepted. And Jesus prays that we would dwell together in unity, and he prays that we would be made perfect. How are you doing in fulfilling Jesus' prayer, prayer request for your life? Are you mature? I didn't ask you how old, you've been, how old you are, how long you've been saved. I didn't ask you what your knowledge of the Bible was. I said, how is your maturity? How are you living out what you know for the scriptures? How are you living it? That's maturity. Jesus Christ prays for us, but secondly, his prayer life 
has never stopped. The glimpse into Jesus' life, Jesus' prayer life, is that he, his, his prayers are directed towards me, and that his prayer life has never stopped. His prayer life has never stopped. Look at Hebrews, uh, actually don't look at that, I'm, I'm just going to read it out. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, it says this, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That word ever liveth means something special. It means this, he ever liveth. It means he's never stopping and he forever is going to make intercessions, prayers for us continually. Every day, every hour, not ceasing, right now, he is praying for you. He never stopped. He didn't just stop praying at the end of this prayer in the book. He didn't just stop praying and say, okay, I've prayed my two, two things, that's it. He prayed for you, and he never stopped. He continues making intercessions for us, saying, I wish that they'd be saved. I pray that they would be saved. I pray that they'd be mature. I pray that they would be mature. I pray that they'd be in, in unity. How are you fulfilling Jesus' prayer life right now? It's not just a past prayer he's prayed. It's one he's making right now. You know, if I could do anything all day long, if I was given the option to do anything, all, all, the, the, all the desires I could have had, I could do this all day long, I would fish. I love to fish. I don't think I would choose to pray all day long. And yet Jesus has decided that now that he's at the right hand of the Father to pray without ceasing for us. That's an incredible thought. When I get to heaven, I'm just going to fish all day. But Jesus Christ decided that he is going to instead. Oh, you just not got that. That's good. I get to heaven and be like, hey, what's, oh, yes, the river of life there. I'm just going to fish. It's going to be great. But Jesus Christ said, no, I pray for you continually. And he hasn't stopped. Because his prayer life is directed to you and it has not stopped he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Romans 8.34 says this, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God right now, who also maketh intercession for us? Maketh, meaning it's progressive, right now. Continually making intercessions for us. If anyone had to a reason to condemn us, it's Jesus. He lived a perfect life in the midst of a terrible generation with all temptation and he still decided to love us. He doesn't condemn us. He's instead standing before the right hand of the Father, looking at us and praying for us to be made perfect. Praying for us to be saved if we're not. And praying for us to be made in unity. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And Jesus Christ decided to be as a high priest who stands before God continually day and night saying, his debt has been paid by my blood. His debt has been paid by my blood. Continually, 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 every single day, praying for you. Why do we live defeated lives when Jesus Christ paid that debt for us and is continually making intercessions for us and is always and forevermore loving us through prayer? 
Why do we live lives that are so racked with sin and so racked with defeat and so racked with not knowing what to do with our future, not knowing what to do with our families, not knowing what to do with our lives? It's because we have not gone back to the word of God and said, I know that Jesus Christ ever lived to make intercession for me. And I'm going to see what he prayed for me about and open the scriptures and see what he actually says about your life. When we were to get into the word of God, when we are to actually open up the word of God and see what he has for us, it will change your perspective on everything. Jesus Christ says, now you are clean through the words which I have spoken unto you. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You must get into your Bible. If you don't have a walk with God, what makes you think you can walk in this world? How do you think you can stand when the wiles of the devil are thrown against you? How do you think you can stand when fiery darts are hurled at you and you don't have a walk with Christ? He prays for you continually, ever living to make intercessions for us. And we decide instead to live in defeat. I've done that myself. I've decided to live in defeat. I've decided that, that it's not worth the time put into prayer. It's not worth the time to get my devotions that day. It's not worth the extra effort to get to church that day. And I've always regretted it. I think if we were to be honest and look at our hearts, we'd say, yeah, the same thing goes for me too. That whenever we deny what God wants us to do, it burdens us. And we look back and say, I wish I'd followed what the Bible says. Not what I even thought, but what the Bible said. A prayer can do anything that God can do. Your prayer is just as powerful as Jesus's, Because he lives inside of you. And if you're praying it according to his will, in his name, he will answer it. Now that word, in his name, that, that, that idea of praying it in his name is not just saying, in Jesus' name, amen. It has a much deeper meaning. When you sign a paycheck, when you sign a check of any kind for that matter, you say pay to the order of that person. And you write at the bottom your name and you sign it. You place your name down saying that I endorse this. And when you say I pray this in Jesus' name, it's because it has to be endorsed by this. When you are praying according to the scriptures and you're praying exactly what God says, for instance, when Jesus Christ says, I pray that they be made perfect, you know that he wants you to be made perfect. And so when you pray, God, help me to be mature in this situation, help me to be mature, he will answer that prayer because he has signed it, endorsed it, and written it off to you in his name. That's the idea behind in his name. And John 14 13 says this, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. If I was to ask Jesus, Jesus, give me a Ferrari in your name. Amen. It's not going to happen. You know why? Because Ferrari is not in the Greek, unfortunately. But if I pray things according to his will, according to the will of the father, according to what Jesus Christ wants for my life to be a holy man, to live a holy and pure life, to live a life of, of fearing God and honoring the king, to live a life that's peaceable, to live a life that is according to the word of God, according to the scriptural principles. If we were to pray that, he says, yes, without question, you will get it. That will I do is a promise from Jesus. What promises have you claimed? Jesus prays for you. 
He prays for you, and he is wanting you to claim those promises. His prayer life is directed to me, to you, to all of us, and his prayer life has never stopped. And because Jesus prays for me, I should pray for others. I pray, uh, well, actually, let's read this verse real quick. In John 14, 16, it says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. He will give you the Holy Spirit. Once you get saved, Ephesians 4.30 says, you are sealed to the day of redemption of Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit, and you can't lose him. And he will open your eyes and open your heart to what the Scripture says about what you need to pray for. You say, I have no idea even how to read the Bible. Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit? Before you even begin praying, before you even begin opening the Word of God, say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes and give me discernment to see what you want me to see today in this book. And he will, because it's a promise. You are sealed by him. And I will pray that he, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And he will answer that prayer. He will open your eyes. He'll give you discernment. He'll give you the eyes to see, hey, no more excuses for why you can't understand your Bible. No more excuses for why you don't like to pray. When the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is given as a gift from God, that we can be made perfect. And we can pray according to the scriptures. Jesus prays for me, so I should pray for others. And because Jesus prays for me, I ought to claim the promises of what he has in store for me. The Bible says, I have not seen nor ear hath heard what things God has prepared for us. What sort of things are we missing because we haven't prayed for them? What sort of things are we, pray- are we not praying for? I'm reminded of a story of a man who was a, a pastor, and he had a dream one night. It wasn't a real dream, of obviously, but it was just a dream where he, went, he was in heaven, and Jesus opened up this room, and there's all sorts of things that he wished he had on earth. All sorts of materials he wished he'd had, all sorts of blessings, all sorts of joy, all sorts of peace, all sorts of feelings, happiness, all sorts of fulfilling things that he said, man, I wish I'd had that when I was on earth. And he looks at Jesus and he says, what are all these things? He's like, these are all the things I wanted to give you, but you never asked for. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And if we would ask according to the scriptures, in his name, ask according to what the Holy Spirit is directing us, he will give it to you. Jesus prays for you in that way. He prays for you. His prayer life is directed to you. And his prayer life has never stopped. When our prayers fail, Jesus' prayer life takes over. And remember that he has a 100% success rate. When you go to bed tonight, and when you say a prayer, when you pray over a meal, remember to pray it in Jesus' name. Not with the phrase at the end, but because he prays for you, endorse it with the scripture, and he will answer it. Maybe tonight you may say, I need to pray for others more, because I know Jesus Christ has prayed for me. Maybe you may say, I just need to pray according to the scriptures more. You may say, I need to get into my devotions more. I need to read my Bible. You may say, I just need to ask the Holy Spirit for discernment when I open my Bible, because I don't understand it right now. Or you may say, I need to realize that Jesus prays for me. And he loves me. Regardless of what I've done, where I've been, or who I've been, he loves me. And he prays for us. 
Maybe you may say you need to be in unity with someone else. You need to make that right tonight. You may need to ask for forgiveness. You may need to make a phone call. I told the teenagers this, and this is completely off the beaten tra- track, but I told the teenagers this a couple weeks ago, that when I was in college, I did a reading assignment. We were supposed to read through the entire Old Testament. So I read through it as fast as I could. I read through it, and at the very end, I was crunched for time. I was working three jobs. I couldn't make ends meet even financially, let alone emotionally, let alone with sleep patterns. I couldn't get through it all, so I skimmed the last little bit, page after page, skimmed, skimmed, skimmed. I said, I'm done. I read it. The next day, I came in and signed the paper. It says, I read the Old Testament. Well, I was good with that for a while. Matter of fact, almost an entire year. Until a summer, I was in Chicago, Illinois, and I heard some preaching that convicted me, and the Holy Spirit said, you lied. You didn't read it all. You need to make that right. I said, no, it was a long time ago. He doesn't even remember that, and he's completely changed that assignment now. It's, don't worry about it. It's okay. I've I, I asked for you for forgiveness. That's enough, right? And the Holy Spirit said, no. But he doesn't even know, and if I just ask you for forgiveness, that's enough, right? No. And the Holy Spirit began prodding in my heart. So I picked up my phone, and I dialed his number, and I gave him a call, and it was an answering machine. So I clicked up the phone and put it away and said, well, Lord, I guess you didn't want me to talk to him, right? He said no. So I called him back again. I pulled up the phone, this time dialing numbers much more slowly. I called, and I waited for the answering machine, and it came up. I said, I'm sorry. I lied on that assignment. I hope you could forgive me. And I hung up the phone. You know what the first feeling I felt after that was? Freedom. It was great. I don't think I've ever been so joyful in my life. I don't think I've ever had such a joyful moment of, woo, come through my veins, because I got right with somebody. How much joy are you going to feel when you get right with somebody? More than I could possibly describe for you in one simple story. Because it's everything to be dwelling together in unity with the brethren. What do you need to ask other people for forgiveness about? What do you need to be in unity about? What do you need to be made perfect in? Maybe you need to start your devotions. Maybe you need to start asking the Holy Spirit to help you to open your eyes. Maybe you need to pray for others more. Whatever the case is, you make that decision in your heart tonight. You make that choice. And you ask God to help you with that decision. Let's close in prayer. Every head bowed and every eyes closed. We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I love you. I love you more than anything. I'm so thankful that you decided to come to this earth and become a servant, God. and Die on a cross for me. And before you even died on that cross, you remembered me in prayer and you asked and you prayed for me. I, don't, I can't even fathom that, God, because in my last moments it would be selfishness. It would be filled with self-regret maybe and filled with me, but your last moments were filled with us. And I pray that the t- people in this room, whatever has been said, whatever has pricked their heart, that they would make the decision, that they would make the decision to make it real. To start a walk with you. I pray you'd grow this church. Honor the faith of these people. And teach us something great again. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.